Ladies and gentlemen, guys and gals, welcome back to this week's episode of the Periodical Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, along with the dashing Tavis Killian. Oh, you shouldn't have. And since it has now been one week since we got a new president here in the United States, we decided to start a new series for you guys. Today is going to be part one of a three-part series investigating President Joe Biden's energy policy and his plan for a clean energy revolution and really what that means for the global energy industry. This week is, like I said, part one, and we're going to cover his energy plan and his first executive action on climate, and it's going to cover the content in this week's periodical that I released this past Wednesday, January 27th. So what do you say, Tavis? Let's get into the content our valued listeners tuned in for. All righty. On January 20th, 2021, this great country ushered in a new age after swearing in the 46th president of the United States, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., President Biden's plan for the future of energy in America sets the country down a new path, one aimed at transition and lasting change that will have reaching implications both domestically and abroad. Themes such as climate change, clean energy, and decarbonization dominate Biden's plan for a clean energy revolution, but as is common with most campaign platforms, his plan outlines the what, but not necessarily the how. The chasm between Biden's agenda and Trump's legacy is one of the widest in recent decades, and nowhere is that contrast more pronounced than on climate change and the environment. Biden comes to power with a sense of urgency about climate change that is unmatched by any previous occupant of the White House, and he is installing people who share his views throughout the government. Just as his predecessor spent a significant chunk of his time in office overturning Obama-era carbon reduction-targeted policies, greenlighting oil and natural gas pipelines, and reversing emission restrictions, Biden is expected to use his first 100 days overriding Trump's fossil fuel-focused policies with executive orders. That being said, on day one, Biden has already used the full authority of the executive branch to make progress towards his climate strategy. Key changes from the new administration include executive orders to restart climate diplomacy by rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement and several other presidential decrees to begin transitioning the nation away from fossil fuels. Within hours of taking the oath of office as president on Wednesday, Joe Biden had plans to sign more than a dozen executive orders and direct nearly 100 agency actions aimed at unraveling Donald Trump's environmental policies as he works to cement the government's role in safeguarding the nation's air and water, protecting endangered species, and combating climate change at home and abroad. Before going into too much detail, some of the key actions and elements of President Biden's energy policy must first be uncovered. While his energy policy is far more extensive than this, including plans on job creation and spending, the following is a summary of the, quote, nine key elements of Joe Biden's plan for a clean energy revolution, end quote. Starting on his first day in office, President Biden will attack climate change to spur a clean energy revolution. According to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, by 2021, there will only be nine years left to stop the worst consequences of climate change and, as a result, Biden will act on climate immediately and ambitiously, because there's no time left to waste. Biden plans to first take actions, including requiring aggressive methane pollution limits for new and existing oil and gas operations, developing rigorous new fuel economy standards aimed at ensuring 100% of new sales for light and medium-duty vehicles will be zero emission and annual improvements for heavy-duty vehicles, preserving Americans' natural treasures by permanently protecting the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and banning new oil and gas leasing on federal lands and waters. After these actions are taken, the cornerstone of his climate revolution is unveiled as he plans to work with Congress to put the United States on an irreversible path to achieve economy-wide net-zero emissions no later than 2050. 
To springboard this plan into action, he plans to rally the world towards urgent climate action by rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement. In addition, he will convene a Climate World Summit to directly engage the leaders of the world's major greenhouse gas-emitting nations to persuade them to join the United States in making more ambitious pledges towards protecting the global climate without allowing other nations to game the system by becoming destination economies for polluters. In the long term, Biden plans to invest $400 billion over 10 years as one part of a broad mobilization of public investment in clean energy and innovation through his new research agency, the ARPA-C, which focuses on accelerating climate technologies. Such actions will encourage the accelerated development of clean technologies throughout the economy, including setting a target of reducing the carbon footprint of the U.S. building stock by 50% by 2035, deploying more than 500,000 new domestic public charging outlets by the end of 2030, and ensuring the U.S. agricultural sector is the first in the world to achieve net zero emissions. He will then require public companies to disclose climate-related financial risks and the greenhouse gas emissions in their operations and supply chains, and then work to enact legislation requiring polluters to bear the full cost of their climate pollution. Such actions will hold corporations accountable for pollution and will be the first step in making it a priority for all federal agencies to engage in a community-driven approach to develop solutions for environmental injustices affecting communities of color, low-income communities, and indigenous communities. Lastly, Biden will ensure every federal dollar spent on rebuilding our infrastructure during his administration will be used to prevent, reduce, and withstand the impacts of this climate crisis, which will create 10 million good-paying, middle-class union jobs. He will do this by standing with communities and workers that have risked their lives to produce fossil fuels that made it possible for America to win world wars and become an industrial power, those most impacted by the changing energy markets. While many of Biden's actions on his inauguration day will become effective later in his term, some of the executive orders will go into effect immediately. Within the first week in office, President Joe Biden signed executive orders to reverse decisions of the previous administration by rejoining the Paris Agreement, revoked a presidential permit for the Keystone XL pipeline, and issued a temporary moratorium on all oil and natural gas leasing activities in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in Alaska, as well as any other federal lands and waters. In a briefing with reporters Tuesday evening, January 19th, Biden's new national climate advisor, Gina McCarthy, said the moves will, quote, begin undoing some of the harmful actions that happened in the previous administration's watch so that we can move forward in combating the climate crisis, end quote. In order to grasp the implications of these actions and understand what they mean for the global energy industry, the cornerstone of his climate initiative must first be highlighted. But before we go into that, let's, you know, have a little discussion, Tavis. Let's be clear on one thing. This is not every single aspect of Joe Biden's clean energy plan. It's just kind of a general overview. I mean, we could spend probably 10 podcasts covering exactly the details on what he plans to do, but we also have to be clear about something else. At the end of the day, no president has ever stayed 100% true to their word and completed every single one of their goals they set out for the country. And the thing is, President Biden's no different. This is just an outline of his upcoming plan. Yeah, and I like the way you wrote about it. You said it's a springboard, right? I mean, if anything, this is a bunch of darts thrown at the dartboard. See what sticks, see what works. So yeah, I'm excited to see how, as a nation, we transition. But of course, not all of these policies are going to help or stay. So let's jump into this cornerstone of the clean energy revolution. So while executive orders taken on his first day in office are a springboard, as Tavis said, Springboard to action for Joe Biden's clean energy revolution, the focal point of his plan is to work with Congress to put the United States on an irreversible path 
for achieving economy-wide net zero emissions no later than 2050. This is not going to be a single executive order to be put in place immediately. Instead, it will be a series of executive orders that are part of the $2 trillion clean energy plan. The unprecedented reach of his executive orders will go well beyond the Obama administration. It is expected he will demand Congress to enact a legislation in the first year of his presidency that will, one, establish and enforce mechanisms to achieve the 2050 goal that includes milestone targets no later than the end of his first term in 2025, two, make a historic investment in clean energy and climate research and innovation, and three, incentivizes the rapid deployment of clean energy innovations across the economy, especially in communities most impacted by climate change, and Biden insists that failure on these fronts is not an option. Interestingly enough, many aspects of Biden's initiative are probably more aligned than misaligned about the future of energy with progress of the oil and gas industry. Countless companies in both the private and public sectors, including many in the oil and gas industry, in addition to a growing number of countries, have committed to net zero emissions in the next few decades. Not only have many of these moves been welcomed by the global petroleum industry, but they are claimed to be necessary as the future of this planet depends on actions taken today. The thing is, this ambitious strategy would cost the domestic upstream oil and gas industry greatly while propelling green energy segments forward, changing the energy landscape. Either way, many in the oil and gas industry are preparing to stand alongside the nation's newest president to combat the perils of climate change, regardless of the potential implications against the industry. And Tavis, we've kind of talked about this before. Typically, we're talking about it in California, who is, you know, very progressive in the sense of they're trying to have extreme climate policies to get rid of oil and gas. And, and that is in California what it seems like. Granted, Joe Biden's policy, I don't necessarily think is an entire target on oil and gas getting rid of it. I think it's more of just that accelerated energy transition where we realize, OK, you know, the future of this planet depends on us finding more sustainable solutions. But I still think that this is pretty darn ambitious. I mean, economy-wide net zero, economy-wide, not just a single sector, within the next 30 years. Like, ah, it's, it's, it seems a little too quick to it me. It does seem like a lot, but it makes me wonder how high are they setting the bar. I mean, if you set it for 0% by 2050 and you hit, you know, 90% by 2060, that's still pretty darn good. So at least we're making the efforts. Yeah, but a lot of people are worried about what the future implications are. I hear a lot of people say, oh, this moratorium could turn to be permanent, but I really think he's just using this as a transitionary administration time and trying to reestablish new permitting, new policies. I really don't think this is the death of oil and gas. No, and absolutely. The only thing that kind of bugs me, if you will, about his policies is that you know, for such an accelerated transition from 2021 to 2050, he wants to be economy-wide net zero. But he says that he only wants targets by the end of his first term in the next four years. Mm. I feel like he needs targets every single year in order to develop a roadmap. I mean, the way I think of this is it's kind of like giving an individual, you know, a, a target location for a place they've never been. Say, you know, you invite your cousin out of town and you say, hey, you know, we're meeting at this restaurant and then just expect them to find their way there without a map. <laughs> I mean, could they eventually get there? I think they possibly could, but without any kind of direction or with any kind of steps to tell them exactly how to get there, I just feel like it's it's inefficient process in order to get to the end desired goal. President Biden sparring with President Trump over the oil industry has so far included the Keystone XL pipeline project, the Alaskan National Wildlife Refuge drilling rights, banning oil and gas drilling on all federal lands, and the Paris Climate Agreement. 
Of these, only one had the honor of being involved in President Biden's first executive action on climate change. Tavis, any guess on what that might be? You could say any one of these, and I would not be surprised. Well, it's the Paris Climate Agreement. So let's get into the details on what this agreement actually is. So the Paris Climate Agreement is a legally binding international treaty on climate change whose goal is to limit global warming well below 2, but preferably 1.5, degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. To achieve this long-term temperature goal, countries aim to reach global peaking of greenhouse gas emissions as soon as possible to achieve a climate-neutral world by mid-century. The Paris Agreement is a landmark in multilateral climate change processes because, for the first time, a binding agreement brought all nations onto a common cause to undertake ambitious efforts to combat climate change and adapt to its effect. The agreement was adopted by 196 parties at COP21 in Paris on December 12, 2015, and entered into force on the 4th of November, 2016. Interestingly enough, on November 8, 2016, Donald Trump was elected the 45th President of the United States. Shortly after taking office in January of 2017, Trump took action to leave the Paris Agreement. In fact, on June 1st, 2017, United States President Donald Trump announced that the U.S. would cease all participation in the 2015 Paris Agreement on Climate Change Mitigation and begin negotiations to re-enter the agreement, quote, on terms that are fair to the United States, its businesses, its workers, its people, its taxpayers, end quote, or form a new agreement. The U.S. officially withdrew from the accord to limit climate warming greenhouse gas emissions late last year after beginning the process in 2017. But the United States is the only country of nearly 200 participants that has withdrawn. This decision was reversed just hours after President Biden entered office when he formally signed an executive order to have the United States rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. Quote, I, Joseph R. Biden Jr., President of the United States of America, having seen and considered the Paris Agreement, done at Paris on December 12, 2015, do hereby accept the said agreement and every article and clause thereof on behalf of the United States of America, end quote. So why is this important? It is Biden's first step as a commander-in-chief on his clean energy revolution. Although it will take 30 days for the U.S. to officially rejoin the agreement, it is still the perfect, again, springboard for fulfilling campaign promises, but meeting its targets is going to be a tall order. The U.S. is the second largest producer of carbon emissions behind China and has contributed more to global climate change over time than any other country. As a candidate, Biden made a bold pledge to cut all greenhouse gas emissions from the nation's electricity sector by 2035 and to make the country carbon neutral by 2050, the cornerstone of his clean energy revolution, which would surpass the targets set forth by the agreement. Carbon neutrality by 2050 in and of itself is going to be difficult. But cutting greenhouse gas emissions from the nation's electric sector by 2035 is an even bigger mountain to climb. But there's another sector that Biden's administration plans to focus on, and that's the transportation sector. Transportation sources of carbon emissions are going to be hard to curtail since transportation overtook electricity generation as the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions in the United States back in 2017. Biden's plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from transportation, which is the fastest growing source of U.S. climate pollution, is to preserve and implement the existing Clean Air Act. This will occur by developing rigorous new fuel economy standards aimed at ensuring 100% of new sales for light and medium-duty vehicles will be electrified along with annual emissions improvements for heavy-duty vehicles. In addition, his administration plans to utilize the federal government procurement system, which spends about $500 billion every year, to drive towards 100% clean energy and zero-emission vehicles. 
One upside to this is that the sale of more electric vehicles means additional demand for electricity. Carbon emissions from electricity generation have been decreasing over the last decade and has seen many coal plants retired in lieu of natural gas powered plants as utilities ramped up reliance on renewable energy sources like wind and solar. Electric vehicles today make up less than 2% of new car and SUVs sold each year in the United States, but sales will grow as the cost of battery-powered cars decrease, even without government subsidies. Anyway, I'm getting a tad ahead of myself, but still, Biden's move to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement signals to the world that the U.S. is serious about addressing climate change yet again. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres welcomed the American re-entry into the Climate Agreement by stating, quote, We look forward to the leadership of the United States accelerating global efforts towards net zero, end quote. The next major UN climate summit will take place in Glasgow, Scotland in November, when countries in the agreement will give updated emission targets for the next decade. Again, for me, this comes back to Kevin's analogy about getting to a location on the road, right? At this point, Biden's planned an entire road trip. Sure, we've got lots of stops, but where are those landmarks in between that guide us to that point? It's, it's ambitious, but I want to see it follow through. I don't want to see it fall flat on its face. That being said, I do think that this executive order to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement is the perfect first step. It's that perfect springboard, as we've discussed several times. Why? It tells the American public as well as the world that we're taking climate change seriously and that it's going to be on the front burner, on this front focus for years to come. Granted, with President Trump, yes, climate change was still an issue, but it was definitely a back burner issue. What do I mean by that? I mean, it was still kind of cooking, but really in the background, not doing a whole lot. Now that priority has dramatically shifted. We're bringing it to the front of our focus. We're saying, you know, this is what we're focused on. This is what we want to do. And it's the perfect springboard because it tells the world that we mean business. While Biden's environmental push on day one far surpasses that of any other previous president, only time will show how much of his agenda he can actually finish and how successfully he can rebuild the nation's image around the world, particularly when it comes to leading on climate action. While Biden has called climate change, quote, the number one issue facing humanity, end quote, it is not necessarily a view held throughout the United States. Across the U.S., there are certain individuals and groups who view the inauguration of Joe Biden as the next president of the United States as, quote, setting the stage for a policy agenda that openly and proudly demonizes the affordable, reliable energy resources we all rely upon, end quote. Their argument is plain and simple. Even if the world meets its target for renewable energy, half of global energy demand, which is still growing, will come from oil and gas. Furthermore, if half the global energy comes from oil and gas, it should be sourced from the United States, where it is produced in arguably the most environmentally responsible and affordable way. But these individuals are only looking at half the coin. While President Biden is certainly encouraging a shift away from fossil fuels, he is not proposing a total ban on hydrocarbon-based energy. Instead, President Biden is proposing an accelerated trajectory for the energy transition. That being said, individuals who support climate activism must also be open to the opposing viewpoints as well. Quote, from Paris to Keystone to protecting gray wolves, these huge first moves from President Biden shows he is serious about stopping the climate and extinction crises caused by fossil fuels. End quote. Kieran Suckling, executive director at the Center of Biological Diversity, said in a statement, quote, these strong steps are the start of a furious race to avoid catastrophe. End quote. A focus on climate change is certainly necessary, but to vilify our current energy sources is foolish. The oil and gas industry is firmly committed to being a part of the transition to the next generation of energy sourcing. Climate change is a serious issue, 
and the industry has an opportunity to be a leader in managing greenhouse gas emissions while balancing the need for safe, reliable, and economic energy. While the cornerstone of his clean energy revolution to achieve economy-wide net zero emissions by 2050 is a bold task, his decision to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement is the perfect springboard to action. More changes to the energy landscape are sure to come in the Biden administration's first 100 days. And of course, all good things must come to an end just like this podcast. That is the end of this episode, but you won't want to miss the next episode. Like Kevin said, this will be a a multiple-part series, so you will want to subscribe to the Rare Petro Podcast on whatever feed you're listening through so that you can keep up to date. Because of course, this energy landscape is transitioning, evolving, but dramatically so now, and you want to be kept in the know. So go to rarepetro.com. Plenty of other resources for you to learn from, but that is the end of this episode, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. 